Uh, we often find comfort and joy in those familiar scenes, those familiar nativity scenes. And we find comfort and joy in seeing the humble manger and the wonderful are the wonder-filled shepherds, and so forth. Yet, ben, yet beneath these beloved traditions and beneath these beloved scenes lies a much deeper fundamental truth that defines the essence of the season, a truth that is revealed to us this morning in our Scripture, Galatians 4 and verse 4. In just a moment, we'll read that, but before we do... While we do enjoy the songs of Christmas, and we enjoy the act of buying and receiving gifts, we need to explore the wisdom that is embedded in these verses. We shall see this morning the Apostle Paul's words in Galatians, they reach beyond the decorations. They reach well beyond all of the wonderful festivities of Christmas. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 reveal a divine revelation, a truth that transcends the surface of Christmas and really dives into the heart of God's plan for redemption. So let's read together. Galatians 4 and verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Let's pray together. Our Father, Lord, we are grateful for this day that you've given us. Lord, we're grateful for this season, a season where we can commemorate and celebrate the birth of your dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray as we glean through this passage of Scripture, Lord, I pray that you, most of all, would be our teacher, that the Holy Spirit would give revelation and give understanding to the, the depth of what Paul is saying here, the meaning of what Paul's words are, and Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would apply them as only you can. I pray, Lord, for those that are here this morning that are lost, never been saved. God, I pray that, that they'll understand that the Christmas call really is a call of salvation for those to come to Christ by faith. And Father, I pray for every Christian here this morning. I pray that though we have heard the Christmas message time and time again, year after year, Lord, I pray that it will be heard this morning as if it is the heard as if as if it was heard for the first time i pray lord it would be refreshing to us feed us lord we pray we ask these things in christ's name amen so galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 is not just a historical fact it is a declaration of god's meticulous timing long before the first Christmas. And here Paul paints a picture of God's perfect timing, His precise purpose, and the overwhelming grace that, showcased, that is showcased in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this passage is, is not about the past alone. 
this passage of Scripture this morning is about God's initiative. It's about an divine announcement from God in sending His Son into the world. It, it echoes the symphony of God's mercy throughout history, pointing to His ultimate act of love and sending us a Savior to redeem us and to welcome us into His family. As we think about the incarnation, God coming in the flesh, the first thing I want you to notice with me this morning is the person behind the incarnation. The person behind the incarnation. We see in verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. And so we see here plainly from Scripture that the person behind the incarnation was God Himself. It was God who took the initiative to send His only begotten Son. So the incarnation of Christ was not, beloved, a human decision. Rather, it was an action from God Himself. It showcases, beloved, His Love, His great love for sinful man. And when you think about God's love that He has for sinful humanity, it ought to astound you, right? When you think about God's love, how He poured out His love, how He demonstrated His love to sinful man, it ought to astound us, as it did Job. In Job chapter 7 and verse 17 Listen, in the midst of his suffering, Job contemplates the depth of God's attention toward him. Job says in Job 7, 17, What is mankind that you make so much of them, that you give them so much attention, that you examine them every morning and test them every moment? So think about that. Despite Job's anguish, Despite his confusion, he recognizes the incredible paradox that is set before him, and that is having uh, human, really human insignificance, as he understands that he is nothing more than mere dust, but he is significant to God, the Creator. He is significant in the eyes of God, despite having a fallen nature. So think about that. Think about the love of God that in spite of us having a fallen nature, despite of us uh, being sinful, God intimately cares for us beyond our comprehension. Uh, The psalmist David had the same thought when he said in Psalm 8, What is man that you, God, are mindful of him? We're nothing but mere dust. And we are rebellious, dust at that. But God is mindful of us. He cares for us. And of course, the measure of God's love is not gauged by what He gives, but by who He gave. And that is His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He gave His Son to reconcile and redeem humanity despite our sinful state. This is why, beloved, Christmas is so special. This is why the incarnation of Christ is so important. 
So as we think about God being the one behind the incarnation, it was his initiative. God sent forth his son. I want us to see that the incarnation was therefore the will of God. The incarnation was the will of God. Again, verse 4, notice that phrase where it says, when the fullness of the time had come. Literally, it means when the time had been filled up. So Galatians 4 and verse 4 here emphasizes the meticulous timing and divine orchestration of Jesus Christ's incarnation. Galatians 4 and verse 4, along with many other verses in Scripture, indicate that in eternity past, in the blackness of pre-creation space, when there was nothing and no one but God, the Almighty, the Lord God, had planned that on a particular night, after thousands of years of human history, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be born into the world. You see, so many people view God as if He is up in heaven and He is somehow reacting to the, event, to the events that unfold down here in this earth. But nothing could be farther from the truth. God does not react to the events that occur in this world. He orchestrates those events. And listen, God does not respond to history. He writes it. He writes it. As someone has well said, history is, after all, his story. His story. Listen, before the first man was formed from the dust of the ground, God knew that one day he would send forth his only son in the form of a man. And that God set the date of that first Christmas well before the first day of history. And when the time had filled up to that date, Jesus, beloved, our Savior, was born. And so listen, having this understanding, Christmas marking the birth of Jesus is not a random event, but a predetermined, a predestined moment in God's divine timeline. So we think about the incarnation, it was the will of God. But notice also the incarnation in relation to the wisdom of God. Again, that phrase in verse 4, Paul writes and says, But when the fullness of the time had come, that phrase reveals that the moment of Christ's birth was exactly the right time for such a momentous event to occur. One writer said this, the first Christmas was perfectly timed. In other words, the world was perfectly primed for the advent of the Savior. The world was then perfectly primed for the expansion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when we think about that, we think about, first of all, politically speaking, it was the right time. Politically, Romans' rule had led to a unified empire through extensive road construction. The Roman roads were tremendously well built. Uh, they were built with having drainage 
They were built by having uh, laid with foundation, having gravel and other things that were underneath the road to give it support. And then on top, they laid the roads with bricks or stone. And they were a marvel for sure. I think in modern times, we can, uh, the Arkansas Road Department needs to take some lessons from the ancient uh, Romans of old, right? But uh, those Roman roads were tremendously built and they were utilized by Rome for the furtherance of the Roman Empire to, ins- to ensure its power, to ensure its stability, so that the troops of Rome could, could move quickly from one end of, of the empire to the other. But listen, Rome built these roads so well, again, for maintaining the governance of Rome, but un- unbeknownst to them, these roads accelerated the spread of the gospel throughout the empire. These same roads that Rome meant really for their expansion were used unbeknownst to Rome for the expansion of the gospel. Those same apostles used those roads to carry the gospel of Christ to the reaches of the world. So politically speaking, the time was right. Culturally speaking, the time was right for Christ's birth. Culturally, the world was closer than ever before, linguistically speaking, thanks to Alexander the Great's conquests, which spread the Greek culture and the the Greek language across vast territories. Alexander the Great made his great conquest some 300 years before Christ. But because of Alexander the Great's conquest, the Greek language then became the common tongue, the common language of the day, ease in communication. And that language choice was crucial for the New Testament's distribution. As we know, the New Testament was written in Greek and therefore reaching a broader audience within the Roman Empire, transcending culture divides, and then also aiding in Christianity's spread. So, again, Alexander the Great, he's conquering nations, he's spreading the Greek culture, but unbeknownst to him, God's going to use that. God's going to use that to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, politically speaking, it was the right time. Culturally speaking, it was the right time. Spiritually speaking, it was the right time for Christ to be born. Spiritually, the uh, Jewish people... At the time of Jesus' birth, though they were under uh, Roman rule, they were now back in Jerusalem, and they were allowed to worship the one true God. And so they had, this in itself had brought about an expectation of a Messiah, of their Messiah. So looking back at the time of Christ's birth, looking back at the place of Christ's birth, we can see, beloved, the providence and the wisdom of God's plan in the incarnation. That the early church was able to grow explosively explosively due to the culture and time in which it originated. And so we see the wisdom of God in sending His Son to save the world. God intended to save the world. 
through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. A few years ago, I saw an article talking about the U.S. economic situation and how the federal government is working out a deal to handle the crisis. Now, what got my attention was the title of this article. The headline read this, Desperate Times, How the Federal Government Plans to Save the World. Now, don't laugh out loud at, at that, okay, because that is really laughable, right? Because, listen, no matter what their plan, I am absolutely convinced that the federal government cannot save the world. They cannot. However, in eternity past, the sovereign God of this universe did have a plan to save the world. And that's the reason why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus, our Savior. Now notice, secondly, the supernatural process of the incarnation. We see the person behind it. Who is it? God. God sent forth His Son. He is the initiator of Christmas. But notice the supernatural process. Again, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Notice that phrase, born of a woman, born under the law. In that statement, we are reminded that the true meaning of Christmas centers on a miraculous supernatural event, the birth of the Son of God. Listen, over the span of this world, there have been trillions and trillions of births that have taken place on this planet, and yet there has never been a birth before or since like the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It can only be explained by a supernatural event, a miraculous event. There's a couple of things I want us to notice about this supernatural event. Uh, number one, it is a supernatural process because of who it involves. Because of who it involves. Paul said that God sent forth His Son. God sent forth His Son. That phrase literally means that God sent out from Himself His Son. And so Christmas is about, beloved, the birth of the Son of God. Hallelujah for that. That infant that was born in a stable, wrapped in the rags of a peasant who was cradled in a feeding trough, listen, was not the son of Joseph the carpenter. Jesus was the son of the highest the offspring of the Almighty. He was God in the flesh. It is the miracle of God becoming a man. That's the incarnation. The miracle of God becoming a man. The Creator taking on the body of one of His creatures. And friend, listen, there is no other way to explain that apart from a supernatural, miraculous event. No wonder the angels sing His praises. 
No wonder the star spotlighted his birthplace. This was God in the flesh. As John put it, the Word, the Logos, became flesh. Was made flesh. In 1739, Charles Wesley penned the the Christmas hymn that we just sang. Hark the herald angels sing. It is a song that has certainly stood the test of time. I love the second verse. I love the theology in it. The second verse says, Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold, he come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. I love that. And so, beloved, listen, the Christmas story is the story of a miracle because of who it involves. God sent forth His Son. So Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, coming into this world. It is a story of the supernatural process of God coming into this world. Notice, secondly, it is a supernatural process not only because of who who it involves, but also what it involves. Again, verse 4 says, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. And notice those words carefully, born of a woman. Do they they not remind us of the supernatural method of Christ's birth? Though many would scoff and ridicule such a notion, the Bible tells us that Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin. According to the Scriptures, Jesus Uh, was not conceived through normal human means, but by the Holy Ghost He was conceived. And yes, the doctrine of the virgin birth has been absolutely ridiculed and, and criticized and undermined down throughout all the many centuries. And they undermine it and they ridicule it on the grounds of impossibility. They call it a myth. They call it some type of a legend. Those who would question the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, however, would do well to hear what the angel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, where the angel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the angel said, The holy child shall be called the Son of God. And when Mary said, How can this be? For I have not known a man. The angel said unto her, For with God nothing shall be impossible. Amen. Beloved, there is no explanation for the virgin birth of Jesus Christ apart from a divine supernatural miracle. It's a miracle. And listen, 
We as believers do not need to try to offer some physiological explanation for it because we know it is scientifically impossible. But even though it is scientifically impossible, it is scripturally indisputable. The Bible says so. And I say, let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. The Word of God says that a miracle, a supernatural process took place in the virgin womb of a young Jewish girl some 2,000 years ago. And that, beloved, is what Christmas is all about. It's about a miracle. The miracle is that a virgin conceived a son, and not just any son, the Son of God. Notice one more truth. If my voice can hold out. The purpose of the incarnation. So we've seen the person behind it. Who is the person behind it? God is. God sent forth his son. We have seen, beloved, the supernatural process of the incarnation. The virgin birth. The Holy Spirit conceived the son of God. And then we notice here the third thing, the purpose of the incarnation. Why did Jesus come? Why was this? Well, again, we see verse 5. Paul says that God sent forth his son, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So listen, the celebration of Christmas is not just about what God did. It's about why he did it. It's about the purpose of it. In verse 5, Paul reminds us that the saving purpose, he reminds us of the saving purpose behind Christ coming into the world. Now notice a couple of things that make up the purpose of God in sending us his Son. Notice, first of all, Jesus was born into this world for the redemption of sinners. He came into this world to save sinners. It's a very important word in verse 5. And that is the word redeem. It is translated by a compound of two Greek words, and it simply means to buy back. However, there is more to this word than just the idea of purchasing something. Uh, The Greek word that is used here refers to the ancient practice that in the days of the Roman Empire, slavery was legal and slavery was common. And this word that is translated redeem in verse 5 is a word that would have been used in the slave market. When a person went into the slave market and bought a slave for the purpose of setting that slave free, they were said to have redeemed that slave. Now you couple that with what Paul says in verse number 5, that God sent his son into this world to buy us out of the slave market. He came into this world to buy us out and to set us free from our bondage. 
Beloved, as sinners, we were enslaved by sin. We were in bondage to our taskmaster, Satan himself. But Jesus came to redeem us, to buy us back, to purchase us back. When the angel said that Jesus would save his people from their sins, he was referring to the work of redemption that Jesus Christ came to do. Jesus came to this earth for the purpose of redeeming sinful man. What a price that he paid. Hey, listen, beloved, regardless of how much is spent on Christmas this year, there has never been more spent. There's never been a more costly gift given than on that very first Christmas. In sending Jesus to pay for our sins, God the Father gave the greatest and most expensive gift of all. Christmas is ultimately about the redemption of sinners. Now notice further, and secondly, Christmas is about the adoption of sons. Christmas is about the adoption of sons. Again, Paul says in verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law, it, but it didn't just stop there. It goes further and it says that we might receive the adoption as sons. There's a, there's a very interesting truth that's revealed in these two verses, verses 4 and 5. Listen to the two statements here. One taken from verse 4 where it says God sent forth his son. Then verse 5, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now think about that. Consider that. That God gave up his only begotten son so that he could adopt a multitude of sons. Amen? I'm reminded of what the uh, letter of Hebrews says in chapter 2 and verse 10. It says that, the, that through Jesus' death, Jesus was able to bring about many sons into glory. Oh, listen, Jesus said that in his Father's house, there were many mansions. Many mansions. But though God had only one begotten Son, He has prepared a place for countless millions of adopted sons. That's what Paul is saying here. God sent forth His one Son in order to receive the adoption of sons, plural. And it's a number so high that the Apostle John in the book of Revelation cannot even number it. Praise God. So Christmas is about the birth of one son and the adoption of many sons. Christmas is not just the celebration of a, of a birth. It's the commemoration, beloved, of a divine exchange, a gift beyond measure where God's only son became the bridge that allows countless individuals to find their home and their loving embrace with the Heavenly Father. 
So as we think about the magnificence of Christmas, we're drawn to the very heart of God's greatest gift, the sending of His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We think about, even though we may have heard this story time and time again, year after year, we think about the fact how Jesus willingly willingly stepped into humanity's story, offering a path for salvation and adoption into God's family. That statement right there, even if you've been saved for 30, 40, 50 years, should strike you. That this is not just a tale of old. This is not just some story that is ancient. It is a, this is an invitation that is extended to each of us today. Listen, beloved, the call of Christmas is a call to trust Jesus Christ. That's the call of Christmas. It is a call to believe in His atoning work on the cross. It's a call to believe and to surrender our lives to His Lordship. Christ Jesus is Lord, therefore you ought to bow your heart to Him. And you ought to understand that salvation, therefore, is not about our efforts. It is not about our merits. It's a gift received by faith, a divine grace that transforms us from and, and carries us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's marvelous light. So in the midst of all of our celebration this month, I plead with you, sinner, if you're here and you're unsaved, I plead with you to trust Christ today. Believe upon Him. Embrace His sacrifice. Believe in His resurrection and entrust your life to His care. Salvation is not found in rituals. It's not found in traditions, but in a personal relationship with Jesus He's the only one who offers forgiveness, redemption, and eternal life. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Our Father, Lord, we humbly bow before your presence, Lord. As we look at this tremendous passage of Scripture, we're thankful, Lord, that you took the initiative to send us your only begotten Son for the purpose of redemption. And Father, I pray that your word would have its full effect upon every listener here today. That if one be here that is unsaved, that has never bowed their heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to your son Jesus. That the very call of Christmas beckons unto them even today to believe. Father, I pray for every Christian Pray that our hearts would not grow cold this Christmas season through the
formality of, of it all. I pray, Lord, that we would look past all the tra tradition as, as good as those things are. Lord, that we would look deeper into you sending us your son, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would use this message for your glory and for the furtherance of your kingdom and for the edification of this church. Father, we love you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand as we...